Okay, my guest today is someone pretty special because how should we say this? I would call her an online bestie, that person that you've never met, but you know if you did meet in real life, you would be great friends. And just maybe when those international borders, if they ever do reopen again, you'll find me hanging out in the OC, California, sipping a little matcha with this very woman. Her name is Grace Blacksea and her official title is Time Strategist, Business Mentor and Founder of Quench Collective. I like to say she's the avocado to your gluten-free toast, aka the woman every business owner needs on their team. Quench Collective is a community for female entrepreneurs, and each week she invites a fellow business owner and expert to step up and support her community through the Friday Fill Up Your Cup sessions. Grace is a passionate woman who wants to help small business owners up-level their mindset, strategy, and systems so they can have more impact and less overwhelm. In her work, she focuses on building new mindset patterns, setting up systems that scale, and developing tools that help female founders work smarter, not harder. We could all use a bit of that, right? I loved this conversation. We go from strategic to really personal and deep. We talk a little bit about current events, and I know you are absolutely going to love this woman's generous spirit. So without further ado, I welcome to the show, Grace Blacksea. This is the True To You podcast, your very own work bestie. Each week, we come together for honest conversations about reinventing yourself and your career, all while navigating a path towards meaningful work. I'm your host, Ruby Marsh. Let's do this. Grace, welcome to the show. It's so lovely to be uh, connecting with you all the way from California, sunny California, might I add. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. I am really honored to be here. It's so lovely to meet you and finally see your face, even if it is over video. I'd love for it to be in person, but maybe eventually. (laughs) uh, And it's funny when you've connected over social media or whatever medium, and then you see someone's face and you go, oh, it's just like talking to an old friend. (laughs) It really is. It really is. So I'm meant to be. (laughs) Yes, exactly. So we're going to kick it off with a question that I pretty much ask all my guests, but I love this question because everyone's journey and everyone's story around their career is so different. And I think that for a lot of women who are looking to make changes and in particular starting or growing their businesses, seeing that they are not alone and um, understanding how other people have done it and, and all of those amazing things that you're about to share with us. Um, Grace, tell us, where did you start your career after you know, did you go to university? What did you study? Then what did that lead to? And now you have a business of your own. And I'm really curious to know what that journey looks like over the last few years. Yeah. Take it away. 
Absolutely. Oh, what a journey it has been. I'm still on it, still going. Um, so yes, I am originally, I, I now live in Southern California, but I originally am from Northern California and to be completely transparent, school was never my thing. It just, it didn't resonate with me. I didn't love that we had to be, you know, locked in a classroom with the same people every time, especially in, in the lower grade school. It was just, I went to this small school with maybe 18 people in my class and it just was never, never something that I loved. Um, then I got into high school and that got a little bit better because every class there was new people and I am such a people person. And so that really kept it fresh and that was really lovely, but really never learning about things that really interested me. I'd sit down in history class and think, actually, that was probably the most, <laughs> the most interesting thing to me was going to be history, but everything else, just nothing resonated. And then I got to college and that is when I really started to see that I could have life on my own terms, that I was the, that I could decide what classes I wanted to take. I remember how liberating that field, but how, how liberating that felt. And then when I would go into the registrar's office to pick the classes, it was this major meltdown because I had no idea. I had no idea what I wanted to do. And that stems from being a very, like for my whole entire life, major people pleaser. I did what other people, what made other people happy. And so as the years went on throughout college, I definitely found my way. I always say sometimes I wish I could go back and do this or go back and do more because there was just education is something that I crave constantly. And so I really resonated with that time in my life. And I actually ended up going to school for, um, I have a degree in communications and then also an event planning. And I um, also did, did a little bit of dabbling in sociology, again, just the study of humans and, and the social impact that we have on each other. And, and it was just so interesting to me. So um, after college, actually all throughout college, I worked in events. So pretty much right out of high school, I jumped on board, you know, schlepping things from, from one event to another, from everything from weddings to, um, bar mitzvahs to you name it. Like we, there was nothing that we didn't do. And we also worked with some really, really high profile clients in Northern California where I lived, there was a major sports team there and we did a ton of events with them. And so over those four years, um, it was one of my many jobs. I always say it's so Money in college, how we can manage like three jobs and a class load and a social life. And it's amazing the way that our body can kind of go into autopilot and do those things. Um, but yeah, so as I was working events, I, I really thought to myself, gosh, this is something that I love. I mean, there was nothing like going into a ballroom or into a, a venue of any size and seeing this event that you had worked, had even just the littlest hand in bringing to life and the lighting and the music and the people and the way that they felt when they walk into, walked into the room. And there was just something about creating experiences for people that was so beautiful to me. And I thought, okay, this is it. This is what I want to do. This is where I'm going to invest my time and my energy in life. So, um, right after about six months after I graduated, I moved to Southern California and I quickly got back into the event scene again, working events, um, everything from weddings to private events and still really loving it. But weddings over time can, can wear you down a little bit and that they're very similar venues and that sort of thing. And I just, again, wanted more. I just wanted to continue to further what I was capable of. 
Um, I also was working a different job at the time doing sales. Sales has always been something that I, I think because I am that people pleaser, people person, it always came really naturally to me. And I had someone reach out to me and connect me with a family member of theirs who worked in the corporate event industry. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is it for me. Here's that door. It's like, bright, shining. It's open. This is like grace. This is everything that you've worked for. And so, um, what I will never forget going into that interview and just saying, I'll do anything like this is the job that I know that I was put on this earth to do. And I, and I want it so badly. So I did just that. I did end up getting the job and I thought I had, I mean, I had made it. <laughs> I was then, you know, fast forward a few months even into it. And I thought that I was at what I, you know, was the height of my career. I was planning high level events for fortune 500 companies. Um, and I was commuting two hours a day. I also thought that was another rite of passage. That was something like, right. That I wore proudly as a badge, you know, this professional who had finally made it. And I had moved from, I had a cubicle before in my old job and I now had an office at the door and that was a really big deal. And before I knew it, it, the late nights turned into all-nighters, literally sleeping on the floor in my office. The commuting turned into major chiropractic bills, and my phone was a 24-7 hotline for my clients. I realized really quickly about a year into it that this dream job that I thought I had landed had quickly turned into more or less a nightmare um, for my mind, for my body, for everything that I thought was my future. And somewhere between walking into these ballrooms and not having that same effect anymore of, wow, gosh, this like really magical experience and hitting complete and total burnout physically, it became clear to me that I had created this life that wasn't one that I wanted. I just, it was not me. It didn't feel authentic. It didn't feel sustainable. It was the most crushing feeling in the world. I realized that I didn't want my worth in my job to be measured by my productivity. I didn't want it to be measured by my email response time or how quickly I got back, you know, to a client or that I was waking up at two o'clock in the morning, answering the phone or whatever it was, or the days that I stayed late versus the days that I didn't stay late, even though I'd already been there for 12 hours, that kind of thing. What I really wanted to do is I wanted to help people build businesses that gave them more freedom, more impact, and more income. So I didn't know that right off the bat, but I knew that that's what I wanted. I wanted more freedom for myself. I wanted to have more impact in the world. I definitely wanted to have more income so I could build those other things. Um, about two years into that job, I decided to leave cold Turkey and I probably had one of those experiences where it's just like, okay, I left, I did it. Now, what do I do now? And, and really rebuild my life. I mean, everything from, I'll never forget waking up the next morning that I quit my job and just having to give myself a task. I, I was so addicted to being busy and to doing that. I didn't even know what to do with myself. And so I had to really like equal parts healing and like rediscovery of who I really was and what I really wanted. And I think that I'm sure anyone who's listening to this story can has their version of what that story looks like for them, right? Like that hitting total burnout or just the bottom of the barrel of something that maybe they really wanted, or they just by default got stuck in doing and they realize that that, that wasn't the thing that lit their soul on fire. 
So I set out um, about five years ago, this all happened just about five years ago now, and um, to figure out what it was that I wanted. In doing so, I started consulting on the events and marketing side for um, a number of different clients, everyone from um, uh, nonprofits to small business owners to female entrepreneurs. And in those, I would say the first two years, it was um, kind of like this scary sense of I'm doing a million different things and this feels really unsettling to I think I'm kind of finding my way. Um, I did take on two more jobs, like, you know, nine to five jobs that were um, in that expertise of events and marketing. And they were really wonderful, but they were, again, just more nudges to tell me that I needed to be doing my own thing. So about just almost um, a, a full year ago, I took my job completely, took my platform completely full time and I created Quench. Um, collective, which is a community for female entrepreneurs. And what I do for that community is I am a time strategist and business mentor. So I work with female entrepreneurs to banish burnout, work smarter, not harder, and put themselves first, which means that I help them leverage their number one most important asset they have their time. Time is the most foundational piece of your business. And it's something that we trade so easily. We write off so easily. It's, it's undervalued. And we actually don't have a lot of worth for our own time for the most part, just as women, it's this kind of built-in feature that we come with, unfortunately. Um, so I really help to detach busyness from importance and um, help give them a pathway and a platform to learn together, grow together, um, and really feel connected to each other so that they can bring along tools within their journey. And then I work one-on-one -on -one with clients to help them build strategies to do just that. Amazing. Oh, it's, you know, I think you sharing your story, like you said, will help so many women identify maybe where they're at in your, within your story, at what point they feel as a turning point for them. Uh, but it also, I, I so resonate. And even though I live in a completely different part of the world, previously lived in a big city, same as you doing the huge commute and feeling like you've got to go through these hard times because you're a new graduate and that's just what graduates do. And no one else was telling you different because everyone else around you was doing it the same way. And, and I'm not sure about you, but did you look ahead at the women and the men around you and see that nothing had really changed for them even 10 years, 15 years on? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I don't know that, that the, the leadership that was intact when I was in those different jobs was somewhere that I necessarily wanted to be. Mm. And I actually remember thinking like, what's wrong with me? Like, mm. if this is something that I want so badly, what's wrong with me that mm. I don't look at their life and think that that's what I should want. And I think that that is such a, such a clear calling to, you know, um, to, to finding out what that thing is. And I, I, I'm a self-proclaimed entrepreneur pusher. Like I think everyone has a gift that they should put out into the world and do it on their own. However, I do believe that there are also the most incredible organizations and other entrepreneurs and small business owners and so on and so, so forth that you can, that people can work for that hold this opportunity to unlock mm -hmm. major potential for, for you and the impact that you want to have in your life. Yes. Yes. A hundred percent. And 
uh, I was lucky to find that previously working for Lululemon in a retail environment mm -hmm. and seeing that complete contrast, uh, but also redefining what work-life balance looked like and yeah. that they gave us the tools because I think sometimes that's what's also missing is that we're so focused on our job and so focused on the results that uh, companies don't give us the tools to be able to think for ourselves and to give us that choice. And something really interesting that you said was, I felt, no, I'm probably not going to put these in the right words now, but <laughs> I felt like there was something wrong with me for wanting something different. And, and that really stands out to me as a pivotal moment in that, do you think in that moment that you thought, there's something wrong with me. Why do I want different? Or do you think it was actually you saying to yourself, no, you can, you can want whatever you want as well. What, at what point did you flip into the other side of that and say, no, you can own your career. You don't have to have other people or your external uh, society pressures determine your path. At what point do you think you actually said, no, this is, this is on me and I'm, a, I'm worthy of wanting what I want. Yeah, I think, I think that was yeah. such an interesting pivotal point for you. Yeah, that's such yeah. a great question. I, I don't know, well, I, I should say, I remember when I said to myself, okay, like this is your chance to step up for yourself, like mm. make it so there is no plan B for you. I think that we loved there's so many of us that love to feel safe and rightfully so right we want to have financial security and we want to um know that we are creating a path for ourselves in the future and i just um you know because i always just always kept quench as a side hustle for myself yeah. i i treated it right so it's it everything is energy so if i'm going to treat it like a side hustle it's going to stay like a side hustle whereas if i treat it like a bona fide business where this is my plan a through z then it will be that for me. It will give me that energy back because I'm giving it that much energy. I'm giving that much energy to it. And yeah, I mean, I think that there, it was probably just a few years ago when I said to myself, you know, I have, I, what I kept saying to myself is, well, my ultimate goal is, yeah. and then I would tell them about quench. And, and then what I, what I'm going to do one day is, and it's, I think the biggest message is, you decide when your one day is. That's not on someone else to walk up and say, okay, you know, Grace, I just took a look at the watch. It's, we're, we're ready for you. It's time. Well, the stage is yours. Like that's never going to happen. You create your own opportunity. You create your own stage. And I think that is so important to remember. And is it scary? Without question, it's scary. Is it hard? Without question, it's hard. And I think that's the biggest message too, is there's that quote about just because it's hard doesn't mean that it's wrong. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, those moments really make you step back and reevaluate and look. And also, you know, when you, my, my dad was an entrepreneur and sometimes when you have those examples set from you for a very early age, I, I mean, I don't even think I realized what an impact that it had on me and all the other family members since then. So I think that, yeah, it's something that when you hear those nudges or when you hear yourself say one day, or maybe, or I just got to do this one more thing or, you know, whatever it may be, it's probably a good time to step back and say, how do I actually make this happen? And mm -hmm. then like looking at bringing it to life because we're the only ones I think standing in our way of that. That's for sure. I know I stood in, my, in the way of myself for a long time. <laughs> 
Yes, yes. And, and, and it does take that time as well, because perhaps, I don't know, you, you're very into your personal development as am I. And that journey doesn't just start with going to one UPW or reading mm -hmm. one book that, yes, might change your life, but your awareness doesn't drop in, does it? And in that moment, mm -hmm. it takes practicing listening, as you said, over time to get yes. to that point where it's almost shouting at you and pushing you out into the direction that you need to be going forward facing or future facing as they say. So. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. It's so true. It's so true. And like our good friend, Carissa could just always says, pay attention to your patterns. What kind of mm -hmm. patterns are those that you are, are that, that you're creating for yourself? You know, it's every single time that you think about that idea that you have in it to life. Like it makes you want to puke, good puke, and then rally and bring it happen, you know, yeah. bring it to life. Like she's constantly preaching this, but, and it's true. It's even her story, your story, my story. There does come a time when we have to I think, be our own advocate for saying like, okay, I'm the one that gets to flip the switch and do that. And I think that it is a journey without question, even five years ago. I mean, this world, I look now every day, you know, when I'm on Instagram and I'm scrolling and there's like, gosh, there are so many of these amazing inspirational quotes and posts and videos and so many of these amazing women's voices just speaking so loudly on this exact topic. And if I would have had that five years ago, oh my gosh, I think I would have been in a totally different place because I probably would have surrounded myself by it. And so there really is beauty in that this is um, in that encouraging environment and just also opening yourself up to being, uh, giving yourself the permission to change and grow and dream. Mm, yes, yes. Oh, so good. Uh, my part of my question around your journey was also diving a bit into those skills and strengths that were in the marketing and events industry that you had built through the hard slog of uh, blood, sweat, and tears, and sleeping on the office floor. <laughs> I, I think of episodes of Suits, if you've ever watched Suits, I don't know. Oh, yes. Yeah. I love Suits. <laughs> yeah. Suits. Yes. And, and they always had the lawyers like sleeping in the office and it was always late at night when they were solving the world's biggest problems. Mm -hmm. And I always thought, oh gosh, I hope that doesn't, um, you know, I hope that's not reality, but it's so crazy that it, that it is for, for a lot of people. But looking back on, on those skills and strengths that you cultivated over those years. Do you think that your decision to create Quench was made easier in terms of building a community? And I know that you've built into Quench events on various scales as well. And now because of what's happened in the last few months, primarily online, which is an exciting opportunity, uh, and, and maybe we can talk a little bit about that, but was there anything that you can identify that you're able to bring across from that journey? Uh, or did you feel like it was completely starting from scratch with Quench? Yes, ab absolutely. And you know, what's so funny is what I started Quench five years ago and it only, I only just started doing events about, a, just about a year ago. And <sighs> Um, it's, it's crazy because I pushed it away for so long. There was so much that I personally needed to work through because I had associated events with, you know, this kind of 
really unhealthy, dark, scary time of my life. And I was so exhausted by them. I was so exhausted by just, I mean, yes, could I do them in my sleep? Probably. Did did I know the right, you know, phone calls to make and, you know, whatever it was, but it was kind of like, I needed to work through my own stuff when it came to that. And however, when I, you know, went through the process of that and, you know, talking to everyone from my therapist to my journal about it, it was, it became clear that I was, I got to a point where I was, I was holding back my gifts. I just, because I was being stubborn just because, um, for lack of trying. And I think I'm, I'm sure a lot of listeners can relate to this feeling of, of just being afraid to try just like, cause what's wrong with that, right? What's wrong with just, let's try one event. Let's see how it goes. Let's talk about the challenges. Let's talk about the successes. Um, a good friend of mine, Libby, she always talks about, you know, we focus so much on what's the worst that can happen. And her big life motto saying of her business is what's the best that can happen. And it's so true. What impact can you have from this? And it doesn't have to be the perfect event. And as a recovering perfectionist, cause I was required for every action that I took to be so incredibly perfect. And I think I'm uncovering that, realizing that uh, these, these things don't have to be perfect. You know, the quench community exists because we want to exemplify that you can have it all and you don't have to sacrifice yourself for that, that you can do things imperfectly. Like it is absolutely allowed and it's not only just allowed, it's encouraged. And so what kind of leader am I to not put that out into the world? And so when I finally decided, okay, let's just do it. Let's just, you know, it's this huge conversation with myself in my head. We're going to try one. We're going to do it. If we love it, then we'll do it monthly. We'll start with the first quarter of the year. And so we actually, it's, I, I said a year ago, it's, it's actually just in January that it started. So we started with one event and we held it here in Laguna beach and it was 20 women and it was, it went amazing. It was hugely successful. It was super impactful. Everyone who came felt so lifted up and so inspired and like they could take actionable steps in their business from what they learned that day and apply them tomorrow. Like they could get to work immediately. And that was my intention of of doing it. And I think that what showed through there was that more than anything, I wanted to create this experience, just like how I mentioned earlier, like that you are able to transform spaces to create an experience for Mm -hmm. someone. So they feel a certain way and it didn't have to be in this big, huge ballroom with hundreds of thousands of people. It could be in a courtyard with 20 women who are really willing to make an effort and change in their business to do X, Y, and Z. So I think it's absolutely like I took over the importance of, you know, you've gone to an event, I'm sure before we probably all could note an event that we've been before, maybe even a restaurant that we've walked into or like, it just doesn't feel super welcoming here. It's just not really, you know, and I think as women too, we are, we just, a lot of us, we just naturally kind of shy away from sometimes always being friendly right off the bat. We um, can be sometimes a little bit catty. I think what we're, we've definitely moved away from that as a community of female entrepreneurs without question, but I wanted the events to be anything but that, right? I wanted them to feel ultimately like the second they walked in the door that they had just met their new group of ride or dies, like friends for life. And so it really, I think that transformation of space, that transformation of experience is the main thing that uh, we brought it into. And then, yeah, we transformed it. And after COVID-19 shut everything down here, we transferred that into a virtual experience just in March and it's since it just skyrocketed and we've been able to impact hundreds of women on a global scale. So there's so much 
that, um, that came through everything from organization to experiential. Yeah. And it's so interesting, isn't it? That once you stepped into your most authentic self and realize what was authentically most important in terms of the energy. And that could only come from you being you and being that space holder for those women and not all of the boxes ticked, which it's so hard to do when I've come from high-end residential, multi-multi-million dollar homes as an architect. Wow. And same, same deal. Now, now I think about doing my own home and it, you, sometimes you just need to drop all of that that you've known and all of those expectations just purely based on other people as well and really step into something that I can hear that you're very, very attuned to is vision creating. And I'm not sure if you're someone that journals a lot about ideas and visions and things, but I can imagine that that once you really realize that that was the most important thing, then as you can see, it just grew from there. So absolutely. So good. So proud of you, woman. Well, thank you. And I love me some journaling. That definitely has been a pivotal part of this all coming together without question. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. Let's talk a little bit about burnout because that's something that was a, a key turning point in your journey. Even if you didn't listen to the burnout straight away. I think, um, I'm not sure about your experience, but the body starts giving us signals, but often they're, they're just little low level problems that we can manage <laughs> day to day. And then all of a sudden, um, crap hits the fan and you know, you're, you're in the doctor's surgery or you're seeing specialist after specialist, or you're seeing a therapist or what, whatever you're, you're led to because of a complete meltdown. Uh, Burnout is something that I see, unfortunately, is very prominent in our culture, especially in our Western culture. And especially with the women that I'm surrounded by, I think we're driven by a very masculine, toxic masculine energy of the hyper productivity, not the productivity that gives you the life that you want that you're talking about, but results and goals and uh, the bottom line and things. So do you think it's a little bit of being in that environment and surrounded by that sort of energy that drives us as women to burn out when that's kind of against our true nature as well? Yeah, when I, want, I just want you to riff a little, a little bit on burnout and, and what you see as some of the signs and perhaps what women can start to look for in terms of their own lives to not head down that path if they feel like they're heading down there. Yes. Big oh my goodness. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I could go on for days about this. There, I mean, there's so much to be said just about our world, like the bigger thing about just systemically it being set up mostly by men. And so there really isn't room for women, even just when it comes down to our energy levels, our hormone levels, our cycles, like there are so we have, we we are so in tune with all of that. And we have so, so much of that matters to us in our energy levels without us even knowing, but we have 
mass been taught to and been all these tools and, and resources, I mean, not necessarily in a positive light have been put in front of us to, you know, like deodorant that makes you stop sweating and caffeine or drinks that make you stay up longer or, you know, um, everything from like, if you just like, just think for a second about something that you've been sold from your head to your toe, that makes toes, that makes you go faster, longer, stronger, no need to pause, no need to, I mean, everything from, from our reproductive system. I mean, it is, it's bonkers. It is crazy. Mm. Oh. We departed from what it means to be this like very sacred woman and in identifying it's, it's just, it, it's so, um, it's so crazy to me. And I think that was the biggest thing too, is when I would, gosh, there was a number of jobs that I had that, um, you know, saying, saying, saying no to days off that, I mean, or, or how about just like that, you know, we're taught that we can't, like we have sick days, but we're not going to take sick days. Mm. I'm just going to show up to work sick. Wait a minute. What? Hold on a second. How does that work? Like, how does it work for anybody? You know, like, in fact, that's, did you ever think about how that might impact other people? And then also I think what that's doing is it's really, um, how it becomes, I don't like to use the, uh, I don't really mean the word selfish for lack of a better term. What, what does that mean for you? And, and actually taking the sick day, like when we're talking about a sick day, it's a rest day. It's so that you can rest and come back stronger. It has nothing to do with your worth. It has nothing to do with your productivity. Oh, I'm going to be on the couch and I have the flu, but I'm still going to email. And it's like, wait a minute, hold on. How will we unravel that and make the importance of our health and the importance of our well being? top of the line. And I mean, that's, that's a team that I want to be a part of that. That's a world that I want to subscribe to. And I think that when we stop and think about it, it's just that we've been going, 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 going for so long. And, and like I mentioned earlier, you know, typically as women, we, we are actually taught to wear busy as a badge of honor, like busyness equals importance. And that is so not true. Right. We think that we look at, I mean, you look at all these movies, right? Like double wears Prada and the girl, the, the woman who's running around the office that looks most like she has her head, like chicken with a head cut off is mm. probably that means that she's the most important person. And that's not true. Right. She's probably the overworked underpaid, just totally needs a break and probably a different job title <laughs> kind of person. So yeah, I think just like systemically, there's a lot there in the way of burnout without question. And then also that I think the other piece to it is that we trade our time all the time and um, for like our, in a way of our value and we do it with, Oh, you know, it's just our time. It's just my time. I, I, I give away that for thing for free or I majorly discount that thing or it's just me showing up. So, you know, what's the use in that? And um, I, I think that there's something there when we start to actually give trade our time for dollars. And especially in this, you know, a, a lot of the women who I coach, that's the case when really it's about, um, it's about defining what matters most to us so that we can actually protect that time that we have. Like I always give this example of when you have an, a boss that keeps coming up to you and asking you, Hey, do you mind staying late tonight? I, I, I know, you know, you stayed late last week, but Oh yeah, no problem. You know, it's a new job for you. And you really want to show this boss that you care that you are willing to do anything. But when you say yes to this boss, what that means is that you're actually saying no to your three-year-old and partner who are sitting at home. And mm -hmm. so we think that, um, again, like, well, it's just my time. Like, it's not like no one's, no one's on fire. I'm not performing brain surgery. I'm not, you know, but, but really it is your time. And that decision 
I think decision-making, which typically scares us saying yes or no to something, it actually should be really empowering. It's more like, oh, you know, it's actually really important for me to be home and have dinner with my family every night. I'd be happy to set aside some, t some time next week to help you with that project. I, like to me, I mean, I, I'm using this example because I used to be that girl, right? Like that was, that was me. It's, it, this is not, you know, um, this is not ego talking. This is like truly from experience. But I, I think that that's just it is where do we get clear on what matters most to that to us so that we can protect that time. And then those, those boundaries and those things that matter most to us, um, we actually make time for it. Therefore, burning out can't really be an option or else we're not able to actually care for the things that we love that we need to keep us going. Yes. Something you mentioned there was the word boundaries. I am a big fan of this practice of boundary setting. Is that something that you teach your women or you coach your women on? Is that part of, so you, you have uh, the ability to unpack people's businesses and see where they need to put systems in place. Is boundaries one of the things that, that comes up time and time again? That's not a system based on a structure or anything, but it's simply a conversation and a line that you draw in the sand that I think it's not given enough weight yet. It's a, it's, it's something that we're talking about a lot, but understanding how we set boundaries and why they're important. So talk to me a little bit about boundary setting. If you're open to that, Maybe there's an example yeah. of how you've helped a client do that and what that's meant for her, because I think it's something that we really underestimate where we are focused a lot on systems and strategies, mm -hmm. but this simple tool can get us even further often. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. It's such an important conversation. So the answer is yes. I have this conversation with almost every single one of my one-on-one -on -one clients. And I talk to my community about it at least once a quarter, because here's what boundaries really are. Boundaries are these, are these things. And I'm, I'm just kind of using my hands here in the air. They are boundaries are these things just floating in the air until we give them boots, until we give them something to walk around in and to like actually enforce for us. Right. Mm -hmm. So uh, I have a lot of women come to me and say, Oh gosh, I just, I think, I think it's usually, I think they, you know, <laughs> I think I need boundaries or I, I think I need boundaries for this thing or for that thing or whatever. I can just hear the tiredness and distress in their voices. And it's, it, it's just that it's like, let's go past that. What's it, what's past boundaries. Like we can put up boundaries all day long. That's totally fine. But for us to actually enforce them for us to actually protect those boundaries, cause that's what a boundary is, right? It's like something, it's a barrier that we, that we put between something and something else to make sure that we are protecting whatever, you know, that thing is, um, the way that we give it boots, the way that we actually are able to put it on the ground is by defining our personal values. What is important to us? What fills you up? What powers you down? These things are like, that is truly what boundaries are. So with every single client, like we are talking high level strategies and high level systems and creating workflows and creating, I mean, you name it, we are majorly scaling their business. The very first thing that we do is define their values. And what that does is it naturally puts boundaries in place. So I have my clients and community. I ask them to do this every single quarter, I believe as a small business owner or entrepreneur, even if, even if you're a professional, um, let's take a little bit of 
life is so serious, right? Like we start out, you know, January one, every single year I'm setting all these goals and I'm doing all these things. Well, goal setting is really, really fantastic, but goals are like that thing way, way, way far off in the ocean, that beautiful desert Island, that thing that, yeah, one day I'll do that. Well, objectives are the thing, the actual boat, the vehicle that get you closer to it. So I believe in quarterly value and objective setting. Let's actually do the things that can help you put in motion. And let's also make it a little bit more bite-sized by putting that boundary of time on it, which is, um, which is quarterly. So the thing that I love to do is right before every quarter, I actually also reevaluate what those values are. Sometimes people will set them for a whole year, but I think it's important to remember the seasons of our lives. So similar to quarters, we have seasons Mm -hmm. and sometimes we go through seasons of our life where gosh, like, you know, I am just really needing to be there with my family right now. Or you know what? Like, gosh, I don't think I've, I can't remember the last time I saw my friends. I'm making it a priority that in this season, I am going to make sure, you know, to join back that book club or, you know, make sure to enforce my, my monthly date night with my girlfriends or whatever that may be, whatever it is. It's so important that we look at what those personal values are so we can define the priorities, create boundaries. So when someone comes to us and says, you know, Hey Ruby, did you want to, can you join that book club this month? I know that you said last, last month that you were super you know, interested in joining one. And it was something that you wanted to be a part of. And you were looking at your schedule and saying, I don't, I literally cannot fit another thing in it. And because of that, what suffering is my family, my personal time, my self-care, my relationship with my, myself or my, my fur baby or whoever it is in your life, your partner. And as much as you want to say yes, because you did express a month ago that that was important for this season right now, it just doesn't work. So when we say no to things, there's actually so much power in that because a no is not forever. A no is not like, oh, well, I'm never going to ask Ruby again. It's just that, oh, you know, please let me know the next time that you do it. I would really love to be involved. I'm really honoring some of my values this season and I hope to see you, you know, next quarter or whatever it is. Of course, it sounds way easier said than done, but this is a practice. Like you mentioned earlier, the more that we do things, the better we get at them. So really evaluating, looking, at your boundaries as simply a reinforcement of your values. I'm really curious to know something you talked about then, which is kind of blowing my mind. So uh, I'm interested to go a little bit deeper in this difference between goals and objectives, because Mm -hmm. with my clients, we do a lot of goal setting and then we create many milestones I'm a big believer on getting your goals broken down so that you know week to week what you need to be doing because it's so much easier for the mind to handle week to week situations than like you said, a goal that's way off in the future. But objectives, Mm -hmm. break that down a little bit, the difference between goals and objectives for us. Yes. Um, I'm so, and you know, sometimes people, I will just say this right off the bat. Sometimes people use these words interchangeably. Yeah but there really is a difference to them. And so it's okay if you, you know, if you're using the word goal to define these a little bit more micro things that you do, I'm just going to, I'm just going to give you some insight on a process that I use. And if you want to implement it, I think that's great too. Um, but the, the goal is just that the, that's why goals can be so scary, right? We set these goals to run a half marathon or, you know, gosh, my, my, I hear a lot of people talk about weight loss goals. Like that's something that's huge for them getting to a certain number milestone, making a certain amount of money. There's certain things to that. And also then there's, of course, we've been taught about smart goals, making them really, really measurable, putting time to them, that sort of thing. But even then, 
sometimes these goals can feel like such big things. I would say in most cases, the goals that people set for themselves, let's say, you know, at the beginning of 2020, which I'm sure everyone's goals have <laughs> changed quite a bit since then. But at the beginning of 2020, we set all these goals to ourselves. If you actually looked at those goals and broke them down, it's probably more like those goals would take you two to three years. If you're doing them right, if you're honoring your values, if you're giving your time where it needs to be, and you're actually spending your time doing what you want to be doing on the things that matter most to you, not just, you know, doing X, Y, and Z, climbing Mount Kilimanjaro and training for the half marathon and making, you know, $600,000 a year, whatever it may be. Where is your quality of life in that? So that's why I think the value thing comes into place mm-hmm. with it. But when we specifically talk about goals, yeah, that goal is that macro vision. Like what is that big, big pie in the sky that we're working towards? How can we get there? Um, and the, how can we get there piece is the objective piece. It's quite literally that rowboat that we put in the water to turn and turn and turn every single day. And then underneath objectives is going to be action, right? So I'm a big believer and I, I don't, I'm not a believer in to-do lists. I am a big believer in get to-do lists. I don't think you should ever be doing anything that you don't want to be doing in life. <laughs> Maybe like the dentist or doctor's appointment, that kind of thing. I get those. Um, but get to do's are, are really ensuring that you are designing the life that you want. And then more, moreover, what I live by every single day is my action list. What are the actions that I'm taking? Because if I know that I'm so clear on, you know, I have this big goal, can I really want to make $350,000 my first year of business. Okay. That's the big goal. So let's break that down. What are, what are the vehicles in which we're getting me out there? Okay. I have a coaching program. I have a group program and I have a mastermind. Okay. So those are our objectives. Let's break those down a little bit further and let's actually see, cause there's a good chance that, um, that those are going to, those probably need about like a couple months each to, you know, pre post during like how we actually set up those systems and get them actually generating and moving and grooving that sort of thing. Um, the big thing is, is that objectives make sure that we are not biting off more than we can chew, can Mm. chew because I ask every single client, okay, under that objective, I want you to write down every single thing down to like buy the domain, pay the bill, do every little thing that needs to happen in order to bring that objective to life. And more than more times than none, they realize after writing those things down that, oh, this is going to take more time. And it always goes back to that, right? It's this foundational piece of, oh, it's this, it's this time. And we really want things to happen really quickly, but we have this really beautiful opportunity to give these pieces of our business or of our life, all of us, right? So if we make sure that we are object, like setting as objectives and working these action items, and we're not working on them all at the same time, which that's multitasking and multitasking absolutely is a myth. I believe that you can do a lot of things at once, but if you're doing everything at 20%, you're only going to get 20% back. So if I'm trying to get you to $350,000 a year and you're only giving 10% to that program because you're spending all your time, you know, over here doing X, Y, and Z that's completely unrelated to your business, or maybe it's still a side hustle or whatever it may be. How do we change that? How do we bring it to life? And it's usually in the action that needs to be taken. So those objectives are those really, really measurable things that happen. That's what I call the micro pieces. And that goal is the really macro piece that we're working towards in that, in that ultimate way. Oh, you're a fire (laughs) woman. (laughs) Oh yeah. I'm like, yeah. Ready to go here. <laughs> Hold me back. Hold me in yeah. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for defining that for me. I'm, I'm really interested to go offline and have a bit more of a deeper conversation with you around this because I love when I hear someone, this is 
just an aside to what you're saying, but I love when I hear or I can see you right now explaining something that you're so deeply passionate about and you know has the potential to create breakthroughs for people. I can really tell that this is your <laughs> this is your sweet spot talking about this stuff. So amazing. Yeah. I do love it. I love it so much. <laughs> now we're going to pivot slightly before I ask you my final question into something that's a little bit more uh, in the forefront of our minds. And this is probably something that I would normally not talk about on the podcast, but I'm feeling like we also have these platforms and not having conversations around current events and things that we're seeing is also uh, potentially leaving things off the table, especially in the type of entrepreneurship that you and I are in around creating communities and raising women's voices and helping women to lead lives that they absolutely love and that light them up, that we can't also deny that there's some gross uh, inequalities in our wellness industry. Uh, it's something that I became aware of probably a year or so ago and shied away from really diving into the conversation. It was brought to my attention by one of my uh, yoga teachers and it's so interesting that it's taken this Black Lives Matter movement and the same velocity of the movement that's happening in the US is also happening for us here in Australia because we have uh, some real issues uh, underlying with our Indigenous community here. So uh, it, it has been amazing to watch what's happened in the states to be reflected here and to then consequently lead us to have some really uh, hard conversations. Um, I'm sure you've had a lot of conversations personally and something that I really admired about you, Grace, was that you acknowledged the unlearning that you needed to do right from the get-go and you started to get into action. And I wanted to briefly ask you, and we can go even deeper if we want, but what has that been like leading a community and then choosing to step up around current events, even when that's something that you might not normally do, be, be reactionary towards current events and you know, you might have your things that you talk about within your community and perhaps this is outside or maybe I'm making an assumption there, but, but you really did enroll your community in the conversations that needed to be had and need to be had ongoing because this is not something that's going to go away overnight if we're really committed to being in this and creating change. So, would you mind sharing a little bit about the last few weeks for you and what that's been like to say to yourself, I'm, I have a responsibility as a leader to start these hard conversations, even though I'm in the messiness of it myself. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. This is, I mean, the most important conversation yeah. to be had. I'm so glad that we are talking about this and thank you for, um, for being brave and, and mm -hmm. using your 
platform because I think it is just that it is so necessary. It is so long overdue. It is just, I felt when this all happened, um, I was on a very long drive on the way, on the way home from a road trip. And I was actually so grateful for that time because I like needed to go inward and figure out the, the only thing that was on my mind is as a leader of this community, it is my absolute, um, I have an obligation both to my, my black friends, my black community members, my, the, the future of what my, my future children, my family, my white community members. I mean, there was, there is such an obligation to, in the, in the best possible way, in my opinion, like I feel um, honored to be honest, to have this conversation. Mm-hmm. I think that um, it is, what's going on right now it, it's so true that i think the biggest piece of everything is that while yes it's long overdue that we are starting from somewhere and i can't even i was i said to someone in my community that just a week before this even happened and we were talking about the death of george floyd and i said um at the the area that I went to high school in, I went, um, the, even the town that I grew up in, the city I grew up in was a melting pot of cultures. And did I live in a more se- like white segregated area without question? Um, I have been, I said to, to my family member that I was talking to, you know, I have been around black men and women my whole life. It's so, I couldn't imagine my life without them. And now I live in this, what I like to call bubble in Southern California. And there are so few people of color, um, black men and women. And it, it's weird to me. I don't, I don't love it, but it's also, I am choosing to live here. I am part of that problem. I am not making this neighborhood, this community, you know, physically in, in, in my, um, you know, relation relationally, as far as, um, my area I live in any more welcoming, what am I doing to make it any more welcoming to people of color? Mm. nothing, not one thing. So like this is on me and there is such a responsibility, um, to, you know, to be on the right side of history here, to do the right thing. And we have all been given this opportunity to do the right thing. And I think that is the biggest thing. Um, we have been putting aside the cry for help from people of color for such a long time, specifically in the black community. And it's not okay. I feel so much shame and guilt around that. I can't even begin to tell you, but what I do know is that the black community does not need my shame and guilt. They need my help. They need my action. They need my allyship. They need me to not make this about me, right? They need me. I can't tell you, I got, I, I had a lot of community members reach out and, and the biggest thing for them was, you know, I went to post something today and and I had to take it down because I got, I got some DMs and just people couldn't believe that I put it up. And I just feel like I'm damned if I do. And I damned if I don't. Mm. And, and, um, one of my amazing community members, Ebony Robinson, who is a black woman in my community, in the quench community, she said this amazing quote, um, while on a call with us a few weeks ago, she said, you are never damned if you do the right thing. You are never damned. So if you want to let someone else put you in that box, go for it. But, but if you know that you are on the right side of history, I, mean, I have lost email subscribers over this. I've lost followers over this. And I could not be happier to see them grow, leave. Because 
what that means to me is that they're listening and they know that they're not welcome in a place where, you know, I'm actively trying to build an anti-racist organization. That is what Quench is. And I am trying to, um, I'm trying to, to, to make it just that. So I can say it's that, um, you know, saying it and then doing it's one thing. Like I want my actions to truly speak louder than my words. And so what that means on my end is that, you know, we've talked a lot about getting into action and that's my, def that, that's immediately what I default to, right? When something goes on, I can get into action quickly. That is something that um, is a strength of mine. That is not everyone's and that's okay. And I know there's been a lot of listening and learning and contribution going on offline. And I think that's fantastic. I, I don't know that I necessarily subscribe to the you know, the shaming of all of this, um, on the side, but, but it, you know, here's the thing. Silence does speak volumes. And when we do have a platform, we need to use it for what we believe in. And, um, in that same conversation we had with Ebony, you know, she said, don't use it if it's something that's not important to you then, you know, if, it, if it's not important to you, then don't have that conversation. And I think that it has made me rethink everything from a brand new website that I just built that I don't feel comfortable putting out yet until I have my brand new revised values on there to um, vetting new clients. Where do you stand on the Black Lives Matter movement? I mean, that is so important to me. I, I can't serve clients or I can't, you know, have people in my community who um, don't believe that this is a human rights issue. So with that said, all to be said, we are doing a few things within the Quench community. The ongoing thing is without question, the coaching community in general, the, the female entrepreneur, short entrepreneurship community has been grossly underrepresented when it comes to women of color. So it is, I, you know, as a community for female entrepreneurs, I, truly feel like it is my job to amplify their voices. So we will continue to do that ongoing, showcasing them both in Facebook and Instagram and newsletters and so on and so forth. Um, having them as guests on my weekly meetup, fill up your cup, so on and so forth. So some of the things that we're doing internally is rewriting our values. We are creating a diversity committee um, so that we can make sure that there are little to no oversights when it comes to not only diversity, but, in, but inclusion too, and of course equity. Um, we are, we are in the process, which I'm really excited about this one. Cause I'm a huge podcast lover, which this is the best thing ever. Um, so a monthly, um, uh, podcast club that we only listen to either, um, guests or podcasts that are, um, of people of color. So really excited to do that. We'll probably do about four podcasts a month. We get together and discuss it questions that we have. Cause again, this is on us as white, as white women to really ask those questions of each other and challenge thought processes and really unlearn so much. So we're doing that together, which I'm excited about. Um, Quench will do, of course, an um, ongoing monthly donation. Right now it's to Black Lives Matter and in the process of looking for um, some more that really contribute back to that entrepreneurship and that kind of vision of bringing your ideas to life. Um, bringing more experts on Fill Up Your Cup that are women of color and also creating, of course, an inclusionary culture by inviting, by actually asking women of color to be a part of this community. I mean, I can't just sit here and, and say, oh, well, sure. I put up a few posts online. They think I'm, you know, diverse or inclusionary. Now that's not the case. I have to actively go out and find them. I have to actively go out and serve them as you know, my clients and as my community members. So those are some of the things that we are doing internally. Um, and 
I have also committed to putting out a transparency report at the end of every month just to show everyone where we're doing with it because this is messy. Like we are going to fumble and this is going to be really, really difficult. It's, I mean, we are unlearning a lifetime of things that we thought were okay and they are not. So, um, I am, I am excited to take action. I am excited to dive in and I'm really more or less, um, looking forward to building a world where my children and, or my grandchildren and great grandchildren don't, have to live in a world where race is a is a question of equality like that is something that you know if, if we're all here just to leave this legacy then how can we do that without you know making this equal for everyone so that's our plan <laughs> uh so so good hearing you unpack what's felt like i imagine this has been lifetimes for some people and for us to take action in the last few weeks, I know is a start, a starting point. And I think that this will really, I think this is a beautiful opportunity to revolutionize the wellbeing industry as well and the coaching industry that we are both in by creating that, diversity and tapping into things that we've been so unaware about uh, and and something that I I've been thinking a lot about is this concept of the good girl because I can't speak for women of color but I can speak as a white woman that playing into the good girl narrative things like this are beyond hard for us to dive into and and so it's it's something that I speak about this unlearning around the good girl tendencies and and this for me is like next level mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and and yeah. if anything it is bringing to the forefront as I start to uh, unpack all of this in in my personal narrative and my blind spots and things like that how prevalent the good girl has really been in this and and really been in my life even though I feel like I've been in the unlearning in so many areas that she touches but I'm not sure about you but this is uh yeah (laughs) absolutely yeah I I couldn't agree more with that just that good girl culture and tendencies that I I have right like don't rock the boat Mm. don't take up a lot of space don't be loud and it's like that is not, I mean, I know, I, I know to my soul, and I think that's everyone to do a gut check and a heart check is like, that is not a world that I want to live in. Like I want, this is, this is important. Um, and it's, I am going to, you know, t- take up a lot of space and that doesn't make me, I mean, who just wants to be remembered for being good, <laughs> right? Like it, it's, it's, I want to, I think you want to be remembered as maybe making an impact. And sometimes Mm. that does rock the boat and it does create conflict. And a friend of mine, Alicia, she always talks about, you know, getting comfortable, getting comfortable with confrontation. And that is like, whoa, you say that word. And I'm just like, Mm. if my skin starts to crawl, right. 
but it is so true. And more that like, here's your permission slip to disagree with people, people in your community, with your clients, with your everything. And, but when, as a leader in whatever space you're in, it doesn't matter if you're creating a community or not as a leader to your family, as a leader to your friends, as a leader to your clients, I think that you, we, I, I speak collectively, I think as white women, like we have so much work to do. So why not help to, you know, maybe not talk about the work that you're doing. I don't think that's the important piece of it, but you can do other things like amplifying voices of black women that you can, you know, donate to black lives matter, that you can be a better ally by doing X, Y, and Z. There's, there's so much that can, that can be done. And I think that we're all kind of in the process of shedding this skin. I mean, between mm -hmm. COVID and this movement, like how do we make this just that, like, how do we make it a movement, not just a moment? And there's you know so much conversation going on about that right now. And it's so wonderful, but it's true. It's like going back to the values conversation. If this is a value of mine, if this is a value of mine and my businesses to be not only diverse, but inclusionary, what the heck am I doing to be inclusionary? You know, I, I've had a lot of people reach out. Well, you know, when I look at my ideal client, my ideal client, sure. I, I've never said that she's, she's a black woman or she's a white woman. She's just a 34 year old woman. I'm like time to get more specific, right? I'm having to do that work too. And so it's, to me, it's a beautiful thing to like, just open up our minds, open up our hearts, um, to having those conversations. And I think that's how we're really going to see lasting change because that's what the community needs of us. They need us to help them raise their voices even louder and take up even more space. Um, because that's, that's, you know, what I think it's, I think ultimately it's the right thing to do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Something that you touched on in, in this, uh, conversation around what's been going on is your website and mm. <laughs> interestingly I'm able to segue into my final uh, yes. question very nicely with that now uh, you spoke about your website not being live yet and you're in the process of creating that and I imagine that that's been really really fun and it never uh, happens overnight it's always a lot longer than you think to create a website and quite virtuously what's happened in recent uh, weeks also means that the process is going to take a bit longer but for a really good reason by the sounds right. of it right and so one thing I wanted to ask you, because I've always been really curious about this and following you, is that you don't have you don't have a website, which is where most people start. They go out and they get the logo, they buy the domain, they decide on a name. And I'm not saying don't do these things, but it's really interesting when I see people. And now that we have social media, you can build a platform on social media, which I don't believe is always the best place to put all of your energy. Mm -hmm. uh, you have an email list and you have a Facebook community and, and other ways that you connect with your tribe, but we don't always need to tick those boxes before we put our idea out into the world. And this is a really, really important conversation because I see this prioritizing of all of these things that we think we need to have when beautiful grace that I'm talking to right now has created a business that is giving her an income that she supports her and her partner on because 
she hasn't prioritized those things. She's prioritized other things. So talk to me about that process. Was that a conscious thing to do? And how have you been able to create leads and sales? What's been uh, underlying in terms of, I guess, what's allowed you to do that without things like the website and all of these things perfectly in place beforehand? Yeah. Yes. Well, you know, what's so interesting about that is I think that those things that we think that we need, like the website or the, the perfect photo or the perfect brand colors or the perfect logo or whatever it is. I mean, if people like look really closely at my logo, it is a font (laughs) that I made at like 2am. I mean, it's just, it's, Yes. I mean, there are certain things that were more important to me coming from the marketing world. Yes. I wanted my, I knew what I wanted my font to look like. And I just went from there kind of thing, but colors, oh my gosh, I only just landed on those and I'm like five years into this. And so I, I think that people, um, women sometimes look at those boxes they need to check and don't realize that they're actually barriers. They're barriers from you sharing your brilliance with this world. They're barriers from you, um, bringing, bringing in more income, there are barriers from you creating more impact. To answer your question really quickly, no, you do not have to have a website in order to be successful. You, you don't in order to have impact, in order to have income. In fact, I have um, a, a good friend of mine who has been a guest on my meetup before who has a uh, Instagram stories only Instagram account. So she has one post that explains that this is an oh. Instagram stories account and she does, she is a pricing expert and she does all of her teaching through Instagram stories, which is insane because if you look at the numbers, you know, we spend all these, t- all this time right on our posts and about like, I think the numbers show that 3% of our audience actually sees our post, but 80% of our audience sees our Instagram story. So talk about leveraging your time. She is doing just that. She's saying, you know what the numbers are telling me, and she's obviously a numbers gal. So th- this means a lot to her, that that's where my ideal client is living. So that's where I'm going to be. So you know, if someone were to come to me and they were like, okay, I, I, I got to jumpstart this business. I need one thing in place. I'd say, start with an email list, you know, and that's something that a, you can start on most platforms for free with, um, and, you know, go from there kind of thing, because if you have a direct, um, ability to be in someone's inbox, that's everything. And so that's really what I've been doing is I've been creating this community on Instagram and, um, I have been finding my clients there too. That is where my ideal client lives. And then I've also been servicing her through her inbox as well. And to answer your question about, you know, generating leads and turning them into, you know, long lasting friends and clients and community members is having a genuine connection with them, being authentic, having like, you know, knowing the name of their dog and talking about their partner and asking them hard questions and asking them, you know, how they feel about things. And and if, gosh, if you can do that, if you have 200 followers on Instagram and you can do that with eight people, I'd say you're winning, right? They, Mm -hmm. they know what you're capable of. And then if you're going and giving them proof with every post or every email that this is, you know, I worked with this person. This is the problem that was that, you know, she was having, or even before that, before you would have your first client and you're talking about your journey of what got you there and how I, you know, give your audience examples of how you can take them through this transformation, right? Like how you can take them through this journey. And I think it's been just that. I don't think that the world needs another, you know, we've all fallen. I know I definitely fell right into this trap that 
there's this recipe and it's a certain time of day that you post and times of day that you post and you have to say this and you have to ask that. And there's some truth to that without question, but a genuine connection that goes way further. It goes so far as to that this woman who's had this, you know, if, if maybe a female is your ideal client is having this incredible experience with you. And then she goes out to lunch with a friend and she tells that friend, that friend about you and so on and so forth. I mean, the, that sort of, running your business that way is contagious. It is a way that you actually really do create that community. And I think also looking at it that way, you may think that you just serve clients, but what you're actually doing is I, you know, consider, I wish there was a way to change it on Instagram. It says followers, right? You have like this certain amount of followers. And I wish that it can say community or friends because that's just it. If you're not, you know, taking the time to really get to know every person or when you're going out looking for your ideal client, looking for where that person may live, in the world of the internet, you know, and whatever hashtags they're using or whatever, um, you know, pages they're following, do that work. Just like, and think of it, I think in the way of in, in real life. So if you, if you walk into an event and you top, you, you wave at someone from across the room, I always say that on Instagram, like a wave is following someone and kind of saying, hello, hi, it's me, you know, like, you know, liking and commenting their photos is asking questions and getting to know them. And then sending that direct message is saying to them, let's be friends, you know, let's, let's meet up for lunch, that kind of thing. So just create those experiences. We're so worried about, Oh, I can't have the number of people I follow more than the number that follow me. And I, you know, Oh my gosh, there's just, it's like, wait a minute, let's go back to the beginning. Let's go back to like ground zero, the bedrock of who you are. And I think it's probably that you want to have genuine people in your community. So mm. treat people like that, treat people like humans, treat them like they have a heartbeat, you know? So I think that is the, that's the biggest thing. And, and absolutely no, you don't need a website. I'm really excited for mine to be released, but that's definitely after years of servicing clients and um, finding the right person to do the website and having the budget to do it and so on and so forth. But does that equal success for me? Absolutely not. Mm. I think it's, it's um, part of the journey and um, it will be a great place to house our values. So, <laughs> yes, a uh, beautiful place to in this conversation, which, well, we've gone everywhere today and I feel like we probably need a whole other conversation just to dive a little bit deeper into the business systems, because I know that there's going to be a few women listening that are like, Oh, we just need to go deeper on these systems. Yeah. Uh, Thank you so much, Grace. This has been really such a pleasure to start my morning with you, you and your day with this. Uh, and yes, thank you for your time. I couldn't agree more. Thank you so much, Ruby, for having me. I am. I think this goes to say that we just were talking about authenticity and being genuine and you are one of those amazing souls. And I'm so glad that the... Instagram world brought us together and mutual friends and that sort of thing. So thank you for using your voice. This platform is fantastic. And I'm really grateful to be here with you. Oh, thank you, Grace. That means a mm -hmm. lot.